Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello, welcome to Human Ordinary, documentaries about culture, relationships, and all those things that make us human. I'm Sam Loy. Before we get started, a special shout out to our brand new subscriber, Lawrence Hamilton from New South Wales. Lawrence gets his name on our website, ad-free episodes delivered early, when we can, and will pretty soon be rocking an exclusive Human Ordinary t-shirt. Join Lawrence as a part of the Human Ordinary gang by heading to possible.com, searching for the show, and then for the cost of a block of delicious fruit and nut chocolate each month, you can be at least 10% more awesome. So, taking planes kind of sucks for me. I imagine it sucks for a lot of people because in their quest to maximise space and profits, economy seats have not been designed with six foot three people in mind, especially if the person in front of me decides to put their seat back because they need an extra five degrees of luxury. For me, that's when things skirt pretty close to cruel and unusual torture. Because this one time, and making quite a long story short, I discovered that I have this genetic back malfunction. You see, I was born without a little part of my L5 vertebrae. That's one of the ones down the bottom. And this part helps keep it in place. So slowly, gradually, throughout my life, that vertebrae has been slipping out, stuffing up all the muscles down there. The physio, actually several physios, have said that the best treatment that I can do is to strengthen my core. And the best way to do that is through Pilates. So I did that for a while, until one day the socks I was instructed to wear caused my feet to slip on the bar and the whole thing snapped back into my shins. It really hurt and I didn't think I got enough sympathy or even an apology from the instructor, so I never went back. That was three years ago. These days I tried to manage the inevitable pain. I've learned over the years to avoid moving in certain ways and doing particular things. One of those things is sitting in cramped spaces. Which brings us back to planes. I could pay for a seat with extra leg room, but I'm cheap and I prefer to suffer so I can complain and earn sympathy points from over-empathetic people. I arrive at my destination stiff and sore, but what's a little discomfort in the quest for mile-high martyrdom, eh? And so it was a couple of weeks ago on a flight to Sydney. It's only a little over an hour, and I steeled myself for some aches, but practiced my look of displeasure to the attendants, clearing my throat so my dramatic size would be audible. I was on my way to interview a man named Dr. Monko Lek. Dr. Lek is a geneticist and assistant professor at Yale University School of Medicine in the United States. But he's an Aussie and has more accolades and letters after his name than I've had hot dinners. And he's now at the forefront of genetic research into rare diseases, which was why he was invited to present at a recent TEDx event in Sydney, where I got to meet him because I was lucky enough to be invited to present a bit of a live podcast experience for punters, which was an on-stage interview with Dr. Monkol. 
Do you get called that a lot? You know, doctor, is, is it Dr. Lek, Dr. Monkol, or, or what um, I normally tell my students just to call me Monkol because I don't know, the doctor makes me feel really old. So I'm just going to just call me Monkol. <laughs> all right, all right. Monkol. I made sure to ask him all the important questions. So, so where do you fall on the uh, essential debate of our time? Is it PlayStation or Xbox? I'm a PlayStation person. All right, good stuff. <laughs> good answer. Uh, now, you might notice a bit of noise in the background. We're in this massive cavernous hall. And there was a lot of stuff going on. But fortunately, afterwards, I got to sit down with him one-on-one and learn more about his fascinating story, which, in a manner befitting a man of science, is really all about adaptation. Monkol Lek was born in 1979 in Cambodia. I'm the youngest of seven children. Uh, my family came to Australia as refugees. Mongol's family was fleeing as the Khmer Rouge tore through their country. Somehow, all nine of them managed to escape. Because Mongol was just a baby, he was the only one in the family without any memories of Cambodia. I think it's really difficult, mainly because um, when I came he, um, to Australia, I was only a baby. I hadn't actually picked up any Cambodian. So it was very hard to relate to them because they had to pick up a new language and things like that. And so they had to make many sacrifices not um, knowing the, uh, the language so that I could actually have the opportunities in the family. So I think also one of the challenges is that Sometimes you can't unsee things that you do see. So the things that my brothers and sisters saw during the Khmer Rouge time, during the Civil War, they can't unsee, you know. Um, we're very fortunate. Our family came to Australia in one piece. Um, everyone survived. Um, my relatives weren't as fortunate with their kids. So, you know, I, I, I wish we were closer, but, you know, it is what it is. When they arrived, they were settled in Western Sydney. First Bankstown and then Blacktown. As he grew, he realised he was a bit of an odd one out amongst his school peers, so decided he would have to adapt. One of the challenges of growing up in Blacktown was that there were not many people from Southeast Asia living in Blacktown at the time. So, you know, I had to try and fit in as best I could. And um, having a love for Australian sports such as cricket, rugby league and a few other sports, it it helped me fit in. But growing up in that area... um, gave me a sense of sort of like not taking things for granted and also judging people based on, you know, them and not based on their background, but just based on them, you know, as a person, not who their parents were and things like that. Moncol says he had a pretty normal childhood. He was an active kid and his family gradually settled into their life as new Australians. Then, when he was about 10 years old, one of his sisters started to experience pain in her muscles. Doctors could see they were weak for her age, and she was diagnosed with having muscular dystrophy. This is a genetic disease impacting on particular muscle proteins. Normal people, um, when you use your muscles, it does get damaged, but then it repairs itself. But um, people with muscular dystrophy, some of them can't repair themselves, or they just break down a lot more easier than normal muscles. So every time it goes through a cycle of what we call regeneration, some of it doesn't regenerate and becomes fat or fibrosis. What he's essentially saying is that his sister's muscles were slowly getting weaker and weaker as they were unable to develop and grow in the regular way. I didn't think much. Um, It didn't mean anything to me and I knew nothing about genetics. So I just went on with my life and... 
the rest of the family thought the same way too. And and we're all a little bit in denial also because we don't come from a scientific background and Cambodia is not known, known to be a powerhouse for science either. So we all thought maybe she'll get better. She just needs to stretch more, do this, do this. I'm just being honest. And, you know, it was always the hope that things may get better and it will never affect any of us. But it did. Around nine years later, Mongkol was studying computer engineering at university. This was the internet boom, so I wanted to get rich or or just do some fancy computer stuff because I love computer games. And during his long commute from home to campus and back again, he began to notice he was often lethargic. Coming from Blacktown and trying to go to UNSW, which was in Kensington, so that's the University of New South Wales, it required a train from Blacktown Station, which I stood up on because it was peak hour, and then a bus from Central to uh, Kensington. And that was one and a half hours each way. So that's three hours of standing up. Um, So... Being a young man, you're always in denial going, well, I'm supposed to be tired. Um, but then I, I realised that a lot of my friends in university had way more energy than me to study afterwards. But as a young man, you're always in denial. You're always thinking, eh, it'll probably get better, but it didn't get better. He didn't know it yet, but Mongkol, just like his sister, had muscular dystrophy. He says that the pain was constant. It feels like, if you remember back in the day when you did cross-country running or ran a long distance, it's the feeling just after or the next day, the next morning, that, that constant ache. So it's not necessarily a pain, but it's an ache. But when you feel that ache too much, it becomes a pain. And I feel that all the time. And as it progresses, it happens more. And every time you use your muscles... Uh, there's just this pain in just trying to use that muscle. But he persevered. He graduated and landed a flash job at IBM. And still not knowing the cause of his mysterious lethargy and pain, he continued to seek an answer. I would go from doctor to doctor and they would share in my denial going, you're too young. It's only until a doctor took a blood test looking at this thing called keratin kinase, a protein that leaks into your blood when your muscle gets damaged. And And the doctor asked me, well, did you do a marathon recently before taking this blood test? And I go, no way. (laughs) I don't do those types of things. And he goes, there's seriously something wrong with your muscles because it shouldn't be showing muscle damage. And then he didn't want to jump to conclusions. He said, here's a neurologist. Go and see them. And they did more tests. And that's when I got the clinical diagnosis. Now, You might notice Moncol making a point of referring to a clinical diagnosis. This is essentially a best fit of what a person is experiencing. With a clinical diagnosis, there is no determination of what is actually causing the condition because it's basically just a detailed description of symptoms. And with a clinical diagnosis, all that can be done for a person is to manage those symptoms. And for many, this is the best they're ever going to get. But Moncol needed to know what was wrong with him. He was used to adapting. He was used to solving problems. And in this case, he felt he needed to have as much knowledge about his condition as the doctors he was seeing. Coming up after the break, Moncol takes matters into his own hands. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Human Ordinary is sponsored by Movement Sunglasses. Listeners of the show will probably know that Movement has been a loyal sponsor of Human Ordinary over the last couple of years, but I mostly bang on about their watches. This time, I wanted to clue you in about something else they do equally well, and that is sunglasses. So here's my deal with sunnies. I've only ever bought cheap pairs because the fancy ones are too expensive and I don't like getting ripped off. But then the cheap ones always end up breaking because they're cheap and I just have to buy more. The good folk at Movement understood this and went about making quality, trendy sunnies at an affordable price. You don't have to choose between style and function because these babies have both. Plus, you can get them polarized, and they start at just $60 bucks. They've got heaps of styles to choose from, but mine are the runaway. Not only do they keep me from needing to squint all day, but they're also really strong and make me look as flash as Flash Gordon in the flash in a lightning storm. Now that's flash. Listeners to the show can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns just by going to mvmt.com slash human. Come see why Movement keeps growing and check out their expanding collection. That's mvmt.com slash human. Come and join the movement. This episode of Human Ordinary is sponsored by Indochino. And this promo for Indochino is a true story. Indochino make made-to-measure menswear, shirts and suits tailored to your exact measurements for maximum fit and comfort. And because they're a great bunch of people, they gave me a free shirt. So I log on to their website, Indochino.com, and pick out a trendy-looking button-up shirt. And with most clothing websites, that would have been the end of it, but not with Indochino. I got to customise the collar, the cuffs, the buttons on the collar and cuffs, the lining, whether it was a casual or formal fit, whether it had a pocket or not, and, most impressively, I could add a monogram. I didn't, but it's awesome the option is there. Then came the fitting. Now, I don't have much idea about what my measurements are, but Indochino takes you through the process with simple-to-follow videos that you and your partner or friend can work through. Once those measurements are entered, they're on the site for good, ready to be used for any purchase you make in the future. So not only am I getting a shirt customised to my preferences, but it's also going to fit perfectly. And this week, you can get any premium Indochino suit for just 569 Australian dollar bucks at Indochino.com when you enter the code HUMAN. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com and promo code HUMAN for any premium suit for just $569 with free shipping. That's a premium deal for a premium suit. So Moncol Lek had just been diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. By this stage, he was in his early 20s and possessed with a young man's sense of invincibility, as well as a drive to know all the answers. For Moncol, what he wanted most was not the clinical diagnosis he had already received, but a genetic diagnosis. He wanted to know which gene specifically wasn't doing its job properly, information which could then help in formulating an ongoing treatment, perhaps even a cure. And the first step in getting this information was a muscle biopsy, where doctors had to take a chunk of muscle from him. Understandably, 
Mongkol was apprehensive about this procedure. I kept saying no, and one day they came up with this strategy. Okay, I'm not going to name the doctors. They came up with a strategy, and they go, Mongkol, you know what? Kids just lie down on this seat here. They watch a cartoon. We pop out the muscle. They don't even know it's gone. And I go, and they were they were trying to shame me. And I'm going, oh, really? And they go, yeah. I go, okay, sign me up for it. Kids are doing it. The surgeon comes out and goes, do you want to remember this? And I go, no. And that was the last thing I remember. And then people were sewing me up. And I moved my leg. Go, this bloody. <laughs> and it felt like they uh, they forgot the scalp on my leg. That's how much it hurt. It, it's a scar about this big, so about 15 centimetres long. And for the next two to three days, I could not move my leg without, you know, being in a lot, a lot of pain. And then I went back to the neurologist and go, you told me you just popped this out when kids were watching cartoons. What's the deal? And they go, do you think you'd do it if we just told you the truth? I go, hell no. And they go, that's why we told you that. That story. <laughs> and the pain was only half worth it. The results gave Moncol part of what he was searching for, a genetic diagnosis. He learned that his disease, known as limb girdle muscular dystrophy, was a rare one. But the test wasn't able to determine specifically which of his genes was causing the disease. And so, Moncol found that he still wasn't satisfied. He'd go to bed at night after a day working at IBM and feel a niggling thought at the back of his mind. It's just this thought, okay, and it's, I don't expect my neurologist and other specialists to stay up at night thinking about me, my disease, how they can help me. It'd be very selfish to think, maybe they're talking about it, maybe they're thinking about it in the shower, maybe they're thinking about it in the toilet seat, maybe they're thinking about it on their Sunday out with their family. They're not thinking about that. So, you know, I had to sort of like think, you know, if I was going to understand my disease better and also maybe seek out treatments, that I had to be proactive, not wait for someone else to, to, to think about this magical person that's going to think about me all the time. So, so adapting to his situation, Moncol took himself back to uni. He completed an engineering degree in bioinformatics and a science degree in physiology and then followed all that up with a PhD in medicine. His thesis investigated muscle proteins. Along the way, he won the University Medal, an Australian Postgraduate Award, and met his future wife, Angela, also a genetic scientist. And the search for his mutated gene continued. Until in 2011, close to a decade after he was first diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, specialists were able to zero in on the disease gene. What they did was to analyse the DNA of Moncol and all of the other members of his family. Specialists searched for regions that only Moncol and his affected sister uniquely shared, and they found one. It led them to a gene known as TCAP. This was the culprit. Moncol's search to understand precisely what was wrong with him was over, and his friends bought a baseball cap for him with a big letter T on it to mark the occasion. Get it? Tea cap. But while this hunt for knowledge had come to an end, his journey was far from wrapping up. The following year, in 2012, not long after receiving his doctorate and the discovery of TCAP, an old uni mate of Moncol's reached out and invited him to come work at his genetics lab in Boston. So he asked me to be his first lab member, and I said, sure, why not? <laughs> so it was an awesome adventure because I'm saying, I'll only come if I can work on rare diseases because that's what I'm passionate about. And he says, well, that's what we work on. 
Now, the work involved in human genetics is pretty complicated. I tried to have Moncol explain some of it to me, but I suppose you need more than an hour to understand the complexities of our body's building blocks. But what's good to know is that most of what he does has only been made possible by this thing called the Human Genome Project. This was an effort to sequence every letter of the genetic alphabet that regulate the way we're put together. It took over 13 years, involved the cooperation of at least eight countries, cost an obscene amount of money, and is probably the biggest breakthrough in science, like ever. All of this has had massive implications for Moncol's life and work. But just because we know what genes are in our body doesn't necessarily mean we know what they're doing. And that's true for about a third of all identified genes. Sometimes it's only when a patient with a rare disease gets diagnosed that the function of a particular gene is revealed. Scientists and doctors then have a need to study every gene in their patients in order to determine which one is causing a disease. So Mongol and his lab partners started to use this thing called next-generation sequencing. This can quickly map all the genes that make up a particular person, and then that map can be studied and sifted through in search of mutated genes. So what took me 10 years, over 10 years, to find out, um, we can find out in a matter of weeks. That's how great the technology is. And the first family we sequenced when I was in Boston doing my postdoc, that's what it's called a postdoctoral research after your PhD, was to work on undiagnosed families. So they didn't have a genetic diagnosis. We didn't know the gene or the mutation. Undiagnosed families from Westmead Children's Hospital where both Daniel and I were because we wanted to give back to Australian science, Australian research, and also to Australian families. So we worked on Australian families trying to find them a genetic diagnosis. And the first family we worked on we call Family A with neuromuscular diseases. They had spent over nine years trying to find a genetic diagnosis and in a matter of weeks we found the disease gene in that family. So it, it, was, um, it was a really rewarding experience going through multiple, like, um, would have been over 60 Australian families and trying to find answers for them. And so we found answers for about 30 to 40% of them. And, you know, maybe, maybe the Americans are thinking, hang on, why are you using American research dollars to find uh, answers for Australian families? But it was extremely rewarding for Daniel and I and also to continue collaborating with the University of Sydney and giving back to a place that, you know, trained us up as scientists. Because of his experiences and expertise, Moncol is in a unique position to understand the needs of those living with a rare disease. With a bubbly selflessness that is nothing if it's not charming and infectious, Moncol says he is always thinking about how he can help other people. Being a patient, I'm always a patient first rather than a scientist. I'm always about how can I help people rather than how can I get to the next career stepping stone? How can I get to the next publication? Maybe this is the quickest way for me to get, become unemployed. But I, the thing I keep saying to my research lab is I'd rather go broke or be unemployed doing the right things because instead of doing what I don't believe in, and being extremely successful because I can't sleep at night. So, so hopefully that this, this path is the right path. But for me, it's always the patients first and trying to use the resources I have to help them and hopefully the rest of my career will sort itself out. One of these resources is a database known as the Exome Aggregation Consortium Project. 
The details of this are a bit sciencey, but bear with me and I'll try to explain it because it's interesting stuff. So this thing known as exome sequencing is all about investigating the parts of the human genome where the most severe disease-causing mutations can be found. But the exome sequence of any person, healthy or otherwise, has tens of thousands of genetic mutations, with no signpost as to which are the disease-causing ones. So what the Exome Aggregation Consortium project did was collect the genetic data of over 60,000 individuals and compile a list of 10 million genetic variations with information about how common they are in specific demographics. Doctors and specialists can then cross-reference a patient's individual sequence with the project's list to determine which of their patient's mutations are rare or not. The rare ones are therefore those more likely to have caused the disease. And it was successful beyond my dreams. The details of the project were published in the scientific journal Nature, which is pretty much the pinnacle for any researcher. If someone said to me, you'd work on a project that it would be cited. So in science speak, the dream of a scientist is to publish work that other people cite in their scientific work. So if someone said, you're going to work on a project that's going to be cited four times a year, I'd be over the moon. But if someone said to me, you're going to work on a project that's going to be cited four times a year, a day, I'd be like, get out of here. So the project's been extremely successful. It receives four citations a day. The resource that we rele- released in 2014 has been accessed over 5 million times, helping families around the world find a genetic diagnosis. So that's one thing that I've been able to achieve. But one thing I also want to be able to achieve is I don't want to just be known as someone that contributed to delivering bad news faster because a genetic diagnosis, if you're going to be a cynic, is delivery of bad news. I want to also want to be known in using that knowledge of the genetic diagnosis to translate that to therapies. In 2018, Monkol was offered a job at Yale University and was given his own research facility appropriately named the Lech Lab. He now has 10 other scientists in his charge. He's also an assistant professor, he's got a PS4, and three dogs he and his wife rescued from the pound. Still, every day is painful. Monkol told me that during his 20-hour trip from his home in Connecticut to Sydney for the TEDx event, the part he dreaded the most was the walk from his plane seat to the toilet. After his talk, The thousands of people in the theatre gave him a standing ovation. I asked him what it meant to him to have so many people be in aberration of him and his work. But he hadn't seen it. He was too focused on navigating the half a foot step down off the stage. As awkward as it might be to acknowledge, Monkol's success is because of his rare disease. If not for limb girdle muscular dystrophy, he would probably still be a computer engineer making lots of money and living something of the life he had planned for himself when he was a teenager. Instead, he's speaking at TEDx events and leading a lab that's at the forefront of genetic science, involved in research that could be literally world-changing. His lab had been applying some of the available tools to edit the human genome, so that one day they may be able to fix the typos in a person's DNA in order to treat and maybe cure their disease. I wondered whether what drove Monkol was the possibility that he might one day be able to edit his own DNA so that he might be cured, so that he 
might live without the constant pain. I asked him where he saw himself in 10 years. When I think about that, I don't think about what university I'm going to be in, what company I'm being. I, I'll just, I always think about it, where will I be in terms of how many patients or projects I've worked on that has actually helped patients. So I hope that I've, in five to ten years' time, I've been involved in projects that have developed genetic therapies, but not just developing therapies that fix things in vitro, so fix cells in a dish, and not just fix mice. I'm not interested in curing mice, but have actually gone to clinical trials, and I've contributed to that effort somewhere in using my talents and skills that I've gained um, through this journey. So that's what I hope, that I can go, that clinical trial that's helped that patient, I was involved in that process. It's an incredible answer. Like, I would expect a lot of people would sort of say, I want to be you know, without pain, but you're just thinking about the amount of other people that you can help. It's a really selfless attitude. Oh, maybe I want that too. <laughs> I take it back. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, if, if I can, you know... Uh, it's my thought that if I'm, you know, it's karma, if I'm thinking about helping other people that someone will actually work on my disease. You know, my, my biggest um, thought is to help my sister who's much older and this disease is much more progressed. What is there for her first? Mm. Cool. Thanks. The mutation in his and his sister's genes was part of a genetic lottery. Much like me having a dodgy L5 vertebrae, it was out of their hands. And Moncol decided that the only thing he could do was to adapt, to not let the obstacles in his way stop him on a journey to fill his life with activity and purpose. And the world has benefited from his adaptation just as much as he has. After our time together, I walked out with Moncol and his wife, Angela. It was a slow trip, and at times Moncol lagged behind as we lost ourselves to conversation. But I didn't hear him complain or whine, or dramatically sigh. After a massive day of public speaking, interviews, moving around from here to there and being the centre of attention, he was exhausted, sore, and just wanted to be in bed. But he remained upbeat and affable. Because being upbeat and affable is as much a part of who he is as having a mutated muscle protein gene. Being upbeat and affable was the reason he was able to adapt. I said my goodbyes and watched Moncol continue to walk on, leaning heavily on his walking stick and trying his best to maintain pace with his wife. I packed my things and headed to the airport, getting ready to cast pained and aggrieved looks to the flight attendants. Thanks to Moncol Lek for his time, generosity and selflessness. Thanks to Guy Scott Wilson and Jordan Lott at Acast and Kate Lowry at Nova Entertainment for hooking the whole thing up. Thanks also to the Human Ordinary team and especially Mick for his wealth of medical and science knowledge. Original music in this story was by Kent Sutherland. The recording of the live interview I conducted with Moncole at TEDx will be made available to subscribers. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by Mick Cavazzini, Cinnamon Napard, May Jasper and me, Sam Loy. Special thanks to Claire Tonti at Planet Broadcasting and Guy Scott Wilson at Acast. Our artwork is by Fergal Quigley and our theme music is by The Contortionist Handbook. Score a free t-shirt, bonus content and ad-free episodes by subscribing to Human Ordinary at possible.com. 
For more info on the show, head to the website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Anyway, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.